Today is December 15th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here to talk about boxing. Um, last week, I didn't get a chance to record. I actually came down with the flu. Full disclosure here, I did record an episode. I felt like it sounded horrible. I had no energy at all. My voice sounded different. I decided against putting it out. Please forgive me for that. But let me break down the fights that took place last weekend. I was actually in attendance. Um, I was feeling like crap, but I did make the trip to New York. I felt if Michael Jordan could play a game of basketball at an extremely high level with a flu, I should be able to sit in the stands <laughs> and watch some boxing. Um, it was a pretty decent card overall. I felt the, the fights could have turned out a little better than they did, especially that main event. But before I get into that, let me talk about the things that didn't impress me. The things that impressed me, first of all, was the reception for Xander Zayas. I know that Puerto Ricans get a good ovation in Madison Square Garden, in New York in general. But Xander Zayas, at 20 years old, really had the crowd rocking. If you were in that building, chances are you were either there for Tiafimo Lopez or you were there for Xander Zayas. That's it. Did I enjoy seeing Keyshawn on the on the card before I got there and Jared Anderson seeing his name on the card? Absolutely. But my ticket was purchased for Tiafimo Lopez and Xander Zayas. And the crowd felt the same way because these two guys got the biggest reactions by far. Everyone else wasn't even close. Xander, at 20 years old, stepped in there with a guy who tested him, who came to fight, fought back. Xander got in good rounds. While winning the fight, he also faced a little adversity during the fight. I like the combinations. I like the poise. I like the demeanor. He didn't really rush things. He wasn't discouraged by not knocking him out. Alexis Salazar has been in there with guys like Carlos Adamas, as I mentioned. Oh, well, I didn't mention it because the podcast never came out. But I did mention it in the original recording that I made that Salazar was in there with tough guys like Adamas and he wasn't going to be deterred by Zayas. Zayas needs to continue to stay active. I know he wasn't as active as he wanted to be. He still got three fights in this year, but he wanted to get four or five, I believe, and he ended up getting COVID or, or a similar um, illness, maybe even the flu like I had, but he was ill earlier in the year, and that kind of slowed his momentum a little bit. Still, though, three fights, very good, 20 years old, 15-0. Look out for Xander Zayas. This fight took place at 154. I believe he's previously fought at 160. So we're going to see how this kid's body continues to develop. Still very young, but he has a lot of promise. I was impressed with him. Also on that card, Keyshawn Davis did what he had to do. Put in good work. Beat uh, Juan Carlos Burgos every step of the way. Won every round. Threw a ton of punches. He was a little discouraged that he couldn't get him out of there, though. He didn't get the stoppage. That is going to happen. This was his first time going past six rounds, and I've been telling people this. These guys that haven't been past six rounds, don't rush him. I hear people saying things like, oh, put him in there with Tank, and put him in there with Lomachenko, and I'd favor him. Listen, I wouldn't. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would not favor this kid against any of the elite guys at 135. Not yet. You have to go through these steps. You have to go through adversity. Thinking you're going to knock a guy out 
and not getting the knockout, that showed. It didn't happen, and he said it. He said, hey, look, I was trying to get on. I was trying to knock this guy out. The guy's tough. He wasn't going away. That's going to happen. And what's going to happen when you're in there and a guy that's actually fighting back? Because Burgos, yeah, he was a veteran. He knew how to survive in there. He knew how to cover up and just move around and, and make it to the final bell. But he wasn't in there to really press Keyshawn and really didn't push him to any limit at all. He didn't throw many punches. He was content just getting whooped. And that was about it. He was happy to survive. The co-main event brought all the fireworks. Jared Anderson against Jerry Forrest. Jerry Forrest has been around for a while. Has great draws with Michael Hunter. With Big Bang Zhang. The power puncher from China. I mean, I expected him to hit the over. The over on this, I believe, was three and a half. So the fact that Jerry Forrest got taken out of there in two rounds shows me a lot. It shows that Jared Anderson is going to be a problem for a lot of heavyweights in this division. But if we have to nitpick a little bit here, and remember, this is nitpicking. Overall, I love Jared Anderson. I think he's a great prospect. I think he's going to be a tough, tough out for anyone. I'd say as soon as this time next year, I think he'll get a good fight, a top 10 opponent, and I think he'll do well. But if I have to nitpick, the guy is a little impatient. That could be a good thing and a bad thing. For entertainment purposes, it was great. He threw over 100 punches in the first round. That is ridiculous, especially for a heavyweight. That's insane. You don't even see middleweights doing that, really. A heavyweight throwing over 100 punches is wild. This guy emptied the full clip. He didn't get him out of there in the first round. He did get him out of there in the second round. But he got hit with some big left hands. Jerry Forrest can punch as well. And when Jerry Forrest landed those left hands, you could see a little switch in Jared Anderson. He visibly got upset. He visibly turned it up a little bit. That could haunt him against the upper echelon in the division. You've got to be a poker player in there. You don't want to show everyone your emotions, show someone when you got hurt or hit. You notice a lot of guys do the opposite. They'll shake their head, no, 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 that didn't hurt me. Well, in reality, you know, when someone shakes their head, no, that means yes. But Anderson did the opposite. He got hit and he said, oh, yeah, you're going to hit me? I'm going to let off this 100-shot combination, not 100-punch combination, but 100 punches in the first round. And... Like I said, there's a gift and a curse to that. Watching it, it was great. In the crowd, we erupted. Really had the crowd on their feet. Really produced some good action. But if you're in there with a highly, highly skilled guy, he could pick you apart. And while you're throwing 100 punches, he could just pick his shots and land a couple big ones and get you out of there. But overall, I like Jared Anderson. I think he's definitely somebody to watch. If you haven't heard of him or haven't been paying attention to him, Please do, because not only is he a good fighter, he's extremely entertaining. He came out in the Grinch costume. He's come out as a pimp before. He's really charismatic and really funny and really gets you going, gets you into him as an individual. He really stands out from the rest of the crowd. He's a big guy, too. And again, if you could throw 100 punches in a round, you've got something good going for you. So we'll see where he goes from here. I'd like another little step up, maybe someone in the Jerry Forrest area. Um, Quick knockouts bring in big money, especially in the heavyweight division. Now, on to the main event. How can I word this correctly? It was trash. I'm sorry. I wanted the best out of this. I know Sandro Martin is the guy who can stink out a fight, and that's what I was 
saying before I deleted my original audio, Sandro Martin makes guys look ordinary. He did it with Mikey Garcia. He did it here with Tiafimo Lopez. And I think it was a combination. I don't, I'm not saying it was all Martin that that stunk out the fight. Tiafimo Lopez definitely could have done th- some things better. But one thing Sandro Martin didn't do was win the fight. People who were calling it a robbery, I don't know what fight they watched. I think as Ezra, if you've heard of Ezra, who also has a boxing podcast, he made a great point and said, are these people grading this fight or judging this fight or scoring this fight on a curve? Are we going in there with an expectation of what we think is supposed to happen and then because that isn't happening, we're scoring it the opposite way? Are we using personal feelings towards Tiafimo Lopez against him? Some people don't like him. He's already outspoken. A lot of people want to see him fail. His dad is a loudmouth. A lot of people use that and say, oh, yeah, he lost this round. He lost that round. Listen, I scored the fight live. I mean, I didn't score the fight live. I watched the fight. I was enjoying being there. I tried not to score every fight while I'm there and just, you know, soak it in and enjoy it for what it is. To, to my eye that wasn't scoring the fight, I didn't see enough rounds where Martin could have won. With the benefit of DVR, I recorded this fight. I was able to watch it back at my own pace and score it round by round. I gave Sandro Martin three rounds. I feel like that was being generous. One of those rounds were pretty close. There was actually a couple rounds that were pretty close. But I gave Martin three rounds plus the knockdown, which he definitely did have in, I believe, the second round. That right there gives his a 96-93, because it was a 10-round fight. 96-93 to Martin, I mean to Tiafimo Lopez. Like I said, there was a couple close rounds. So let me just pick a random round here. Give it to Martin. Take it away from Tio. That's still a 95 to 94 victory for Tiafimo Lopez. I'll say that again. If you found with a microscope, because that's what you need to find this, if you found four rounds for Sandro Martin in a 10 round fight, plus a knockdown in the second round, it is still a Tiafimo Lopez 95-94 victory. If you gave Sandro Martin five of the ten rounds, you are bugging. I did not see that happen. But if you did, props to you. You had Sandro Martin winning. A robbery is just something I can never subscribe to when when talking about this fight. The only robbery that occurred was Sandro Martin robbing the audience, myself included, of a ticket to this fight. This fight was a stinker. Mind you, I did know that was a possibility with Sandro Martin. That's the type of fighter he is. He'll stink to join out. He really will. Is he a good boxer? Absolutely. Is he an entertaining fighter? No, not by any stretch of the imagination. I didn't find any of his previous fights entertaining. What I did think was going to happen was Tio was going to land bigger shots. I didn't think he was going to stop him 
because Martin is that type of fighter to to really be on the move at all times and, and make it difficult to stop him. But what I did expect was a dominant performance because I think that highly of Tio. But again, I've told people before the fight, the odds were too wide. The, the smart money, I wouldn't say smart money, but the money going in on Martin was a good value because of the odds. Definitely worth putting a few dollars on Martin at plus 500 or whatever it was. But Tio definitely had issues in this fight. Cutting off the ring, I thought he had issues using the jab. Um, those are the two glaring issues to me. But definitely cutting off the ring. When you had him in the corner, every time he had him in the corner, he landed a good right hand, but he allowed Sandro Martin to escape. That can't happen. You have to throw that hook earlier. He kind of waited a little bit. And maybe because he got caught in the second round, and didn't want to get caught off balance again. I get that. But Tio needed to do a little bit more in this fight to really cement his performance. His performance wasn't horrible, but it wasn't up to the standard that I hold for him. I look at him as a special talent. I look at him as one of the most athletic guys in the entire sport. I look at him as the guy he is, the guy who beat Lomachenko. What wasn't happening is he didn't have the patience and it reminded me of the Cambosos fight he wasn't patient he wasn't as impatient as the Cambosos fight but he wasn't patient he was kind of rushing things he was kind of chasing him around the ring you can't do that especially with elite fighters if you get in there with an elite guy you're going to look lost in that ring he seemed to know that that was an issue I did hear him actually say we need to work on turning with him and stuff like that work on it work on it in the gym Work on that jab. That jab was kind of non-existent to the in the fight. With me, it always starts and ends with the jab. You'll go as far as your jab will take you. And Tio, for some reason, in his last few fights, hasn't had that belief in his jab as he once did. I don't know why. His father, I don't know what the deal is with their relationship. They need to figure it out as a team. Because if Tio isn't going to listen to what his dad's saying, he needs to find a new trainer. But from what I heard, his dad was giving him sound advice. Contrary to popular belief, people saying, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just telling his, telling his son to beat his ass and, and knock him out already, and he doesn't have a real game plan. Well, from what I heard, it sounded like he did have a game plan, but Tio wasn't following the game plan. That's on Tio. So what Tiafimo Lopez needs to do, sit down with his dad and have an honest conversation about where they're going to go. Because if they're going to go together, they need to be on the same page. If he's going to be in there and just letting whatever his dad says go in one ear and out the other, that's not going to work either. Regardless of what you think of Tio's dad, if you think he sucks or not, this guy in your corner needs to be a guy you trust with everything, literally with your life. Because you're in there fighting for your life at times. And you need a sound trainer who is going to give you information that you can go and take and go apply it into the ring. Tio was not applying the information. He wasn't even listening to him. The jab wasn't there. So that's something big. The mentality overall of Tiafimo Lopez scares me. And I've been saying this for a lot of fights now. All the way back to the Nakatani fight. Something's up with this kid. 
mentally, and he needs to get the help ASAP if he's ever going to be another champion in this sport. Mentality is the biggest part. This kid's already an athlete. He's, he's jacked. He's, he's in great shape. He has proven that he has the skills. But you can't put it all together if your mind is elsewhere. If it's on your kid's mother or whatever it was, that was another awkward thing. Tio was going to um, reach out of the ring after the fight to pick his son up and bring him into the ring. And for some reason, maybe I misread it. I don't know what it was going on, but it looked like the mother of the child wasn't trying to give the son up. But then later on, uh, you saw them all together and he was kissing her and stuff like that. So maybe things are okay. I don't know. That could have just been a weird interaction. But regardless, whatever's going on in Tio's personal life, he needs to figure it out. Whatever his confidence issue is, he needs to figure it out. He was on camera saying, do I still got it? When you're asking yourself those questions, you need to address it. Tiafimo Lopez is a very vulnerable guy. That's part of the reason he's such a polarizing figure in the sport. Some people like that honesty. Some people don't. Some people like the. Then you have the, the dishonest stuff, the stuff he's saying about other fighters and, and just the trash talk that's kind of out of left field. He's a he's an interesting cat. Use that for your advantage. You have a marketable appearance, approach, character, if you will. Use it to your advantage. Don't become a guy who unravels before our eyes and becomes a guy that we say, oh, what could have been with Tiafimo Lopez? The time is now. Did he win the fight? Yes. But there's a lot of things he can work on. And he needs to do it immediately. I like that he was in the gym the very next day. That is a good sign. He's in the gym and he's talking about who he's fighting next. Those are good signs. Just clean some stuff up. Cut the ring off. Use the jab. Don't be overconfident. But definitely have some confidence in yourself. You are a great fighter. Go out there and become one. The work you did in 2020 against Vasily Lomachenko is irrelevant. This is a new division. This is a new year. These are new challengers coming for you. This is a stacked division at 140. And if Tiafimo Lopez even wants to crack the top five, he has a lot of work to do. And I can't wait to see him prevail and rise back up. In this country, we love a comeback story. Hopefully, Tiafimo Lopez can be one of them. There was another fight that weekend. Terrence Crawford taking on David Avenishian. I did not see the fight because I knew exactly how it would take place. The over-under, I believe, was seven rounds. I knew it was not going seven rounds. This fight was ended in the sixth round by knockout. Highlight reel knockout. I did see the knockout. It went viral. Good stuff from Terrence Crawford, but nothing that I didn't expect. I kind of looked at this fight the same way I looked at Tyson Fury's fight against Derek Chisora. I knew it was going to happen. I didn't see the need to watch it. When you know what's going on, you don't really need to watch it. This fight didn't need my attention, didn't deserve my attention, quite frankly. It definitely didn't deserve my pay-per-view money that it was costing. This fight, to me, was nothing more than a tune-up for Terrence Crawford, and it seemed like that's exactly what it was. Terrence Crawford is one of the best fighters in the world. Skill-wise, 
put him up there with anyone in the division. I mean, excuse me, not everyone in the division. Anyone on the planet. That's the type of skill level Terrence Crawford has. My only issue with him, and it's well documented, is who he's fought and when he's fought them, things like that. Those things still need to change. Terrence Crawford, I'm not saying he has to fight Earl Spence, and that's it. While we want him to, and that is the best fight available to be made in this entire sport, I would be more than okay if he came out and fought Jerron Boots Ennis, or he fought Virgil Ortiz, or he fought Stanley Jonas, or he fought Keith Thurman, or he fought Dennis Ugas. If he fought any of those guys, we would be okay with it. The fact is he hasn't fought any of those guys. His resume at 147 is horrendous. So that's why I don't watch guys like David Avenesian, and I don't care if people are going to say, oh, he's better than you think, and this and that. No, he's not, because I don't think he's that good, and he isn't that good. Did he win more than one round in that fight? No. Highly doubt it. Did he get knocked out? Yes. That's all I have to say about David Avenesian. There was some controversy in this fight. There was a glove issue. Everlast came out and took blame for it. Terrence Crawford's gloves looked like they were old and worn out. Um, Padding was leaking from the thumb area and stuff like that. The gloves looked nuts. I don't know how the Omaha Commission didn't step up and either make Terrence Crawford replace his gloves or how they even let him fight with those in the first place, really. But that's kind of irrelevant to the fight. Was it ridiculous? Yes, but I don't think in any way, shape, or form that helped him beat David Avenesian. Terrence Crawford is a guy who's knocked out every single opponent that he's fought at 147, regardless if you think they're good or not, which I don't. But he still knocked them all out, and it wasn't because of the gloves he was wearing. It's because the power he possesses and the skill that he has to go along with it. But something to keep an eye on, see what happens. Someone's probably going to get sued. Most likely it's going to be the, the state commission or um, Everlast, who obviously came out of their way and said, listen, this was our fault. We had a defective glove, whatever, whatever. That's it for last weekend. On to this weekend. This weekend is a good one. This weekend is a fight that everyone in the, the boxing community needs to support. If you like boxing, you've got to watch this fight. This is a fight that we asked for. This is a fight that we've wanted for a long time. Not these two individuals in general, but the type of fight. Two guys on the come up going at each other. Not waiting around. Not taking tune up and fighting bomb after bomb and waiting for their shot. No, these guys are going at it. There's no title on the line. They want to get a title shot. So they're willing to go through each other to get it. That is what we need. Two young, undefeated guys. Untested at the highest level. Going to get tested together. Which one of us is going to stand out? Which one of us is going to come up with a big win in the division? A loaded division. 135. Lightweight. Excellent talent from top to bottom. And you got two top 10 fighters going at it. Michelle Rivera out of the Dominican Republic. 24-0. 12 knockouts. 5-9. 71-inch reach. Orthodox fighter. This guy, also known as Baby Ali or Dom Ali, Dominican Ali. Forget Nico Ali Walsh. This guy looks like Muhammad Ali. He fights a style similar 
not not ex- not exactly Ali, but he fights at a style similar with the jab, with the length that he has. This guy is going to come out jabbing from a distance. He's going to keep that jab in your face the entire night. He will throw combinations once he's on the inside, but he can fight off his back foot exceptionally well. He can fight off his front foot as well. He is going against Frank the Ghost Martin. If you haven't seen Frank Martin, he's the type of guy that jumps off the screen with his athleticism. He's 5'8", 16-0, 12 knockouts, 68 reach, southpaw. Very difficult guy to deal with. He has a straight left to the body, especially on the inside. He likes to fire that to the body. His footwork is great. He likes to spin around while throwing. He throws a great check right hook. This is an interesting matchup. Frank Martin, if you're not familiar with this guy, he's signed to Errol Spence. He's his best fighter. He is a late starter. He began boxing at 18 years of age. He is now 26 years old, 27 years old. For some people saying 18, oh, that's not that late. No, listen. 18 years old in boxing is very late. Think about another sport. Think about basketball. Imagine a kid hasn't picked up a basketball until he's 18. Where is he going as far as being a professional basketball player? Probably nowhere. Career's over. That's how crazy this is. Frank Martin started boxing at 18. And here he is, Showtime main event, ready to prove that he has what it takes. This kid was in trouble with the law when he was like 18 years old. Didn't know what he wanted to be. This was his words, not mine. said, I don't know if I wanted to be a killer, a wrestler, a gangster, a football player. He didn't know what he was. He said, I was good at a lot of things, good things and bad things. This guy has a lot to prove. A lot of grit, a lot of hard work has gone into this. And he can't wait to display it to the world. And on the other hand, Michelle Rivera... He, has, he hasn't had it easy either. He's from the Dominican Republic, born and raised. He was sleeping in the gym when he first came to the United States, grinding it out, didn't have money for an apartment or anything like that, was literally living and breathing the sport. Rumors are he is doing that now in preparation for this fight, sleeping in the gym, literally, packing a bag and sleeping there. That is how much this means to these two guys. This is life-changing. A lot of boxers come from nothing. These are two prime examples. Who is going to cement their status in the sport and become that next level contender where they're in line for a title shot? Because remember, 135 is loaded. You have superstars, but you only have one champion. His name is Devin Haney. You have Javante Davis, the cash cow. You have Ryan Garcia, who's kind of more like 140 now, but he's right there. You have Shakur Stevenson, who just entered the building at 135. You have Camboso still lingering around. You have Pitbull Cruz out there. You have a lot of killers in this division. These two guys are right in the mix. The winner of this fight will be catapulted. The loser, hopefully, as long as they don't get blown out or knocked out early, they should have their stock rise as well because they're willing to step in this ring. This is a 50-50 fight. Literally, if you're a betting man, whoever the underdog is, take that person. That's how close this fight is. Whoever it is, I don't care who it is. Whoever's the underdog, 
Take that person. Flip a coin. This is a great fight. Gun to my head. I really don't know. I really don't know. I'd be, I'd be shaking if there was a gun to my head right now. Michelle Rivera has the more, how do I say it? I don't want to say more technical, but I'd say the more polished style where you know that jab's coming, you know he's standing upright, you know he's doing all the right things, textbook style. He's not going to make too many mistakes in there. Frank Martin, on the other hand, as I said before, jumps off the screen with athleticism. He seems more of a freak athlete. He has the eye-catching shots. I'd say he's more powerful. And if things get rough and tumble in there, my money would be on him. If it's a straight boxing match, my money would be on Rivera. But hopefully a fight breaks out in this boxing match. Unlike the Tiafimo Lopez-Frank uh, Sandor Martin fight, where a boxing match was all that took place from, from bell one till the end. No fight broke out. Hopefully in this fight, a fight will break out, and I think it will. If a fight breaks out and this becomes a brawl down the stretch, I could see Frank Martin getting it done. If Michelle Rivera is able to keep that distance the whole night, he's going to win this fight. That's how close it is. Martin may fade in the later rounds, may not. But the thing, the thing that's dangerous about Frank Martin is if he does fade, he's going to go all out. He's going to let those hands go. He's going to throw bombs. Is Rivera prepared to go to that place? I think he is. That's why I think it's going to be such a fun fight. This should be excellent. Styles clash, personality-wise, background-wise. This is the goods. Can't wait for it. You have to watch this fight. This is on Showtime this weekend. I believe the, the card begins at 9 p.m. Uh, let me check this real quick. Frank Martin and Michelle Rivera. Let me Google this live here. No editing this out. I'm leaving this in. We're going to talk about it right now. This fight will begin at 10 p.m. 10 p.m. on Showtime. The fight's in Vegas. So it'll be a little earlier for them. But 10 p.m. Eastern time, this fight will start. Or this card will start, rather. On the undercard, you have Jose Uskatsugi, former champion, 168 pounds. He's in there tough. He's fighting Vladimir Shishkin. He's the ninth-ranked opponent. Uskatsugi is the seventh-ranked at 168 by the IBF. Uh, Shishkin is 13-0, 18 KOs. Extended amateur background. Jose Uskatsugi. Hasn't been the same since Caleb Plant took the title off him years ago. He was supposed to fight David Benavidez. He ended up testing positive for a banned substance. But he was active earlier this year in May. He got a KO victory in two rounds. He's 27-3. and three. He's 31 years old, so he's not too old. He's a good fighter, but we'll see how he is after um, years away from top-level competition. Fought Caleb Plant in 2019. Hasn't fought a top guy since then. So overall, the undercard is, is kind of whatever. But we're here for the main event. It's a great one. Can't wait for it. The last big fight of the year. Hopefully we end the year with some fireworks. A few quick notes before I go. Um, now you're in a way. The monster became undisputed. 
hell of a performance. Um, fought against a guy who really wasn't interested in the engaging. Paul Butler, probably one of the worst champions in boxing. But needless to say, in a way wanted to collect all the belts. Butler just happened to be the last guy with the belts. Butler literally just wanted to survive. I believe he only threw or only landed like 35 to 38 punches, something like that. He wasn't interested in engaging at all. In a way, was chasing him down the whole fight. But unlike the Tiafimo Lopez fight, he cut off the ring really well. And he was still able to provide some entertainment, even though it was one-sided. He had his hands behind his back like Roy Jones. He was literally doing anything to make Butler throw more punches and open himself up, and he just refused to do so. But even with all that being said, and Butler trying to survive, he still didn't survive. He lasted till the 11th round before getting stopped with a vicious body shot, followed up by a combination upstairs. In a way, is one of the best in the world. If you haven't been watching this guy because of his division, I'm sorry to hear that because this dude literally can do it all. Offensively, defensively, footwork, inside, outside, back foot, two-handed power, jab, defense. This dude is amazing, and he's moving up to a division that is loaded. This will be his fourth division once he moves up to 122. And that division is literally littered with guys who can either give him a test or potentially beat him. I don't know if they can beat him, but we'll see. It's a new division. We'll see if the power carries up. I actually think it will carry up. That's how special in a way is to me. Obviously, the cream of the crop at 122 is Stephen Fulton Jr., but you have a wide variety of opponents for him to to mix it up with next year. You have guys like MJ Akhmadaliev, Luis Neri, former champion Angelo Leo, Danny Roman, Reese Alim, um, Ronnie Rios. You have a lot of good fighters at 122. And if Inouye is added to that division, that is great news for that entire division because he's going to bring big money to a division in junior featherweight that really doesn't have much going for it as far as box office appeal. A lot of people don't pay attention to those divisions. In a way, is the guy that you can inject some life into a division. Fulton has been carrying it, and he's great. He's a pound-for-pound pound type fighter. In a way, I believe, has a little more star power to him. So it's fun things going on all over the sport. Also at 135, of course, you have the matchup that we're talking about this weekend. But you have Devin Haney and Lomachenko are in talks. Um, they're kind of running into a little issue now where they want to push back the date. Devin Haney is not okay with that. Devin Haney is a Muslim. Devin Haney participates in Ramadan, which involves extreme fasting, something not ideal for a fighter trying to make 135 pounds. So hopefully they can get that done. I don't know what top ranks issue is. I feel like they're kind of messing with Haney a little bit because Haney hasn't signed an extension. He signed a two-fight deal with an option for a third. This will be the third fight. Two of them already took place against George Cambosos. If a guy isn't going to sign an extension, I feel they don't want to make that investment. They don't want Devin Haney to beat their guy Loma and walk away with all the belts and all the equity that he built up and go potentially fight somewhere else. I think that's the big holdup. Um, it could be Lomachenko wants something else, wants a tune-up 
wants more time, whatever the case may be. When Devin Haney stepped in the ring with Lomachenko, we heard him famously say, this guy's a heavyweight, kind of alluding to Devin Haney being too big for him. Um, Lomachenko has opted to not to fight Devin Haney in the past when Lomachenko was champion, so we don't know. I don't want to say it's a duck because that word gets thrown around too often, but we'll see. It's a little, it's a little speed bump. We'll say that. There's a speed bump right now. Hopefully it can get made. Obviously, you have Tank Davis against Hector Luis Garcia in January. That's going to be fantastic. Ryan Garcia is also fighting um, Javante Davis in April. So Javante Davis is lined up for something. Devin Haney's lined up. So that leaves Shakur Stevenson looking for something. He hasn't fought at that division yet. He's looking to make his debut. He's been calling people out recently on social media. We don't know what's going to happen. I was told back on December 3rd, and we are, today is the 16th going into the 17th, excuse me, today is the 15th going into the 16th, but on December 3rd, I was told by a source that I trust, not saying this is 100% fact, I'm just saying, I was told Shakur Stevenson is fighting Japanese fighter Shochiro Yoshino, undefeated Japanese guy, little known Good fighter, but not really the box office appeal that we wanted. I was told that weeks ago, right? Since then, Shakur Stevenson has called out William Zapata. Oscar De La Hoya said, we want to build William Zapata. He likes the fight, but he doesn't think Zapata is a big enough name to make that fight as big as it could be. Okay, that's fine. He's also called out George Cambosis, a guy who is coming off two huge losses and said he needs time before he, he comes back in the ring. He's taking a holiday. We've also heard Shakur call out Pitbull Cruz, who apparently isn't interested in the fight for one reason or another. That's fine calling these people out. But when I hear that you're fighting someone weeks ago, these call-outs kind of don't make too much sense to me. I believe Shakur Stevenson wants the toughest fights. I truly believe that. Shakur Stevenson does not seem like a guy who's ducking anybody in any way, shape, or form. He is a true champion. He wants to fight the best guys, and he wants to fight them now. I believe that. But he is signed to a promotional company, Top Rank. Top Rank has a plan. It appears the plan is Yoshino. I can't confirm that to be fact. It's just something that I was told by someone that I trust. If this fight does get announced, I'm of the belief that this was the plan from the beginning because I heard about it weeks ago. And all these call-outs and stuff, to me, would just be smoke and mirrors. Probably so the backlash isn't what it would be. If these... If the majority of the audience sees you calling people out and sees that, okay, Oscar wants to build this guy up, uh, maybe Pitbull's ducking, Cambosos doesn't want to fight right now, this and that, then they'll say, oh, well, Yoshino was the only guy willing to fight us. See, I called all those people out. They didn't want to fight. Yoshino's all that's left. That's a little dishonest to me because apparently that was the plan from the beginning. 
And realistically, Cambosos wasn't going to fight you after two devastating losses. I, I could tell you that. I didn't need Cambosos to confirm it. It just didn't make sense to take three big losses in a row. Another thing, does anyone really think that's a big fight? Cambosos poses no threat to me at this point based on his last two performances. So he would have to do something else. Same thing with a Jojo Diaz. He's coming off getting destroyed by William Zapata. I don't think he would be a name that should be mentioned yet either. And I love Jojo Diaz. William Zapata, I, I believe it. Oscar Deloia says it. And it makes sense. He does need to build himself up if they're going to make that a big fight. To me, that's a very interesting matchup based on styles. And then another guy that Shakur hasn't mentioned, Edwin Dolo Santos. Edwin Dolo Santos has called out Shakur Stevenson three separate times. He's a real fighter with legit power who knocked out El Rayo, who was a prospect that everyone was high on. He knocked him out, uh, Ray Villanueva. He knocked him out. Shakur first said, maybe a few weeks back, said, oh, that guy doesn't want to fight me. Then he called him out two more times, saying, no, I do want to fight Shakur Stevenson. Then Shakur tweeted out, oh, well, he needs to work his way up. But now he's saying, you know, people are ducking me. It's hard to find. So which one is it? Are people ducking you? Or do you not want to fight someone that isn't well-known but poses a threat, which is fine, high risk, low reward? Or the more realistic scenario is Top Rank has a plan to build Shakur Stevenson, and they're following the plan. And the plan seems to lead to Yoshino. We'll see what happens. Either way, very interesting at 135. This weekend will be huge in seeing where the puzzles and the pieces fall in that division, what the pecking order is. Frank Martin versus Michelle Rivera, Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. Do not miss it. That's all I have for you this weekend. Enjoy the fights. I'm out.